This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to you. Hello and welcome to the Rapcast. I'm your host, Samson Folk. And with game one of the finals looming large, I'm very pleased to have on a terrific writer for ESPN the magazine and ESPN.com. The co-host of Pack Your Knives, the Top Chef podcast, and beloved Kyle Lowry appreciator, Kevin Arnovitz. Thanks so much for coming in, Kevin. How are you? Sam, thanks very much for having me. I'm well. Yeah, I guess the first thing I want to talk about, just to jump into it right away, your piece after Game 5 of the Eastern Conference Finals, you said, in many respects, the Raptors are beating the Bucks with the brand of scrambling, quick to collapse, quick to recover defense that had become Milwaukee's calling card, with Leonard taking the lead, Toronto accounts for Bucks superstar Giannis Antetokounmpo with multiple bodies, help coming from all directions, weak side, baseline, perimeter. KD won't be available in game one, so I'm wondering how you think the Raptors' aforementioned defensive feats will carry over to defending the likes of Draymond, Steph, and Clay, particularly when it comes to tracking Steph and Clay's energetic relocation off ball. Yeah, I mean, look, they're presenting, they're being presented with a problem that is much deeper than anything Milwaukee presents, and Milwaukee's a great offensive team and has been all season. Um, this is a different quality of uh, of offense, right? And it's not just the relocation, right? It's the splits. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that that I think that trio in Golden State have gotten, uh, they can run actions with blindfolds at this point. I mean, in terms of just sheer IQ. As as a triumvirate, they they're un, unrivaled. So you know, half the time, what you're seeing is is essentially just a read. Um, it's not anything you could even script as a defense. So, I mean, I have a great deal of trust in the Raptors' defense. I, I think they have a collective intelligence that that understands and, and and can can kind of pick up on on patterns and 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 whatnot. But it is it's going to be daunting. I mean, the 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 Warriors play with a rhythm that is almost designed to punish teams that put themselves in rotation that, 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 that over scramble um, your, your, your willingness can help can actually 
kill you. I mean, one of the things is just to me, not unlike the Spurs of their prime, like the Warriors make you pay for good decisions, not even bad decisions. Like, yeah, and that that's what makes them different. I think it's going to be really interesting. I, I talked to Michael Pina yesterday about this this matchup, and he seemed to think that Kyle Lowry would be on Steph Curry, and I was of the mind that Kyle Lowry would be guarding Clay Thompson. Which do you think it'll be? Um, I could see them cross matching the guards. Uh, just because with Danny, you get a little more length. And uh, the problem is, obviously, is Kyle, you know, Kyle's height. So Clay's 6'7", and, and, you know, you're talking about coming around a screen and shooting over a guy. So um, I, 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 just, I think you might be right. I, I, again, I, I, would, I would guess maybe Danny starts on, on Kyle. I mean, the question is, is also, you know, given, um, also, you know, given the events of the last, last week you know at what point you know danny played what 13 minutes in the in, in game six the other night yeah i, I forget um but i, I suspect you'll see I, I tend to probably think you're right but nothing would surprise me also i haven't even looked at the matchups like i don't know how kyle and steph have matched up over the years i mean i think um yeah that, that, that's one consideration uh, kyle's really good at fighting over and um and I think, you know, obviously, if you're looking at, at, at Steph and it's really about you can ill afford, you know, not to to basically give him any sort of breathing room on, on high screens. Is Kyle a guy who can kind of stick his arm in there as, you know, and, and sort of in, 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 in recover really quickly? And, and that's the question. So do you think that the Raptors would opt to have? Well, maybe a, there's obviously going to be a mix. If, you, if there's a guy like Steph Curry, you want to throw quite a few different looks at him. But is the game plan then maybe something that you think would be valuable for the Raptors to try and push Steph down into the mid-range and see if he can create from there where the Raptors' length kind of cuts off passing lanes rather than having him operate from the top of the, the arc? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think you have to – I think it's interesting. I know Terry Stotts might take issue with it, but I do think you need to have your bigs up pretty – you know, if not, you know, obviously you can't have them – dangling out there on the on the perimeter especially if it's mark but i do think that you know up to touch is it's going to be you keep you just you saw what he did when you give him a modicum of space and and i just um i you know i wouldn't be surprised i mean it hasn't been in their nature to trap but i wouldn't be surprised if you see a little bit of that i mean obviously you create those four on three situations which they're so good at exploiting but I, I think one of the things that we've learned about nick nurse is you'll probably see a variety of things like look i wouldn't be shocked if Kawhi doesn't spend 12 possessions on 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 Steph in each game. Like I think that's well within the realm of possibility. You know, will they switch? It's something they did against Milwaukee, but I think that was largely in re- kind of to react to Brook Lopez's game 1 and in contrast the Warriors don't have bigs who can really shoot. So, you know, I you know, I'd be inclined to say, you know, the switch at least sort of keeps a body in front of Steph. And that might be something they opt for. I mean, I don't really know what to expect. I mean, it's going to be interesting. We'll know pretty quickly, though. Yeah, game one is going to be really intriguing, obviously, because we've been doing Cavs-Warriors for so long, and we finally have a new matchup to talk about. So, obviously, the, the high screen and roll in the middle of the floor, trying to target Gasol is probably something the Warriors are going to do. But as far as split action, you were talking about the actions they run. They could do them blindfolded. And the Raptors are very, very smart defense. Do you think that the Warriors will go away from those actions a little more to Not try and go into targeting Gasol? No, I don't. I mean, one thing we know about Steve Kerr 
is he's not a guy who's susceptible to very much mismatch basketball. I mean, that's not to say they won't target. I mean, I think, look, they're going to run screen and roll because they run screen and roll because they're really good because they have Steph Curry, right? Like, that's just, that's it. But I don't think this is a team that, and it's 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 part of their DNA, and particularly when Durant's not on the floor, I think this is especially true, is they're just not a team that's going to go away from their stuff because, you know, this is not Mark Jackson basketball, right? Like, I don't think it's, like, it just sort of, you know, working the mismatch is just not something that's really part of their constitution. It's not part of their philosophy. And again, that's not to say that they won't run pick and roll against Gasol because, but they run pick and roll against everybody, irrespective of they think, you know, whether that big is, you know, a, a defender who can hold his own against perimeters like Al Horford or whether it's Marc Gasol. Yeah. I guess going to the other side, the Raptors, the last two rounds, there's been a lot of intimidating rim protection in Embiid, Giannis, and Lopez. And especially Embiid and Giannis. Lopez is good when he's got his feet set in the paint and working from there. But Draymond is a, a very different type of defender. And there's a lot more, I guess, tenacity and guile when talking about how he plays. And he's one of the smartest defenders we've seen in the league for a very, very long time. What happens to Kyle Lowry's sneaky free throw attempts, how he was able to will himself to the line against the Bucks, and Kawhi Leonard's offense at the rim? How do you think Draymond affects that? when they have to negotiate the space in there while he's occupying it. I mean, it's going to be difficult. And and the truth is that, you know, the Raptors didn't do a great job of finding shots at close range against the Bucs. I mean, the Bucs did a, you know, reasonably good job defensively the entire series, even in, in the loss. And the Raptors generated very little at the rim. Um, as you say, Green is a different kind of rim protector, though he is undoubtedly a rim protector. I mean, by by every definition of uh, what does a rim protector do, you know, deters and 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 changes shots at close range. Check um, is somebody who can kind of follow you and shade you all the way to the all the way to the cup and 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 still disrupt the shot even from the top of the floor. Check. You know, he is a, a rim defender. I mean, I mean, this is where Kawhi's, and I'm obviously not a mid-range game guy, but I mean, this is where Kawhi's sort of pull-up artistry is just so important and just how much offense they can generate in possessions where, you know, for whatever reason, the, the defensive scheme doesn't really allow for opportunity. Well, okay, now you've got the ball in Kawhi Leonard's hands. Or, you know, what I love is what, you know, the, the way the Raptors sort of l- later in the Bucks series sort of started going to Kawhi second and third. Um, not at the outset of every possession, but kind of running some action, you know, with Kyle, or for that matter, Fred, and and, and then ultimately getting it to Kawhi after sort of the defense had been scrambled or at least compromised or or kind of lured to the strong side of the floor. But look, it's going to be really tough, and people forget just how good defensively the Warriors are when they're when they're motivated. Yeah. Well, you were talking about attacking after the defense has been scrambled. Norm Powell, he had a big a big part of that Buck series. And generally when he gets to attack in these linear ways where he just goes from A to B, he's quite good. He's almost elite when he's going to the rim. But if he's going back to Draymond, does Norm Powell, and I know this is maybe for a guy who, you've been in Toronto for a while now. Norm Powell, he was good. But how is he going to do if he's attacking a scramble defense, but instead of, you know, a Bucks defense that's waiting at the rim or closing out, it's the the Warriors. How do, let's say, Fred Van Vliet, Norm Powell, how do they come off the bench and have the same type of effect? I, I mean, it, it it's hard to project. 
in, until we see sort of how, I mean, I'm not even sure what the Warriors are going to do rotationally. I mean, that's going to be an interesting question too. Obviously Kerr has been going deep into the bench. Does he shorten the rotation for this series? How is Iguodala feeling? You know, here's another question when Norm and Fred are on the floor, are the, are the Warriors going to be small or are they going to be big? Uh, are they going to be, is, is, is Draymond going to be the five man uh, if he's on the floor at all? I mean, it's, it's hard to project what guys like Norm and Fred do until a, we know how they're going to be used rotationally when they're going to be on the floor and what the Warriors are going to do. It's just, it's just, there's no way to possibly predict. I, I don't know who, whose Norm's matchup is going to be. I don't know. Um, you know, where, is he going to supplant Danny in the rotation essentially after the starting six minutes? I don't know. And so it's just it's extremely hard to, to to know. I guess let's talk about Danny then, and maybe, you know, Fred. He shot fourteen to seventeen from three in those last three games. Danny has been in a, a terrible slump, even though he has a long history of being a great shooter, especially in the NBA Finals as well. You've covered the Spurs at times. You've been with Toronto for a while now, at least recently. Being around Danny, do you think that? he's able to get it back and that he'll come back into the series and start shooting well from the corners again, even, and then work his way above the break, something along those lines. I have no idea. I mean, I, and I don't mean to be flip about it. Like this is sort of, this is sort of the mystery. It's like going to Vegas and, you know, kind of, you know, pulling up to a, to a blackjack table and say, Hey, you know, is that dealer going to suck out again? Like, I, I don't know. Like what we know is this guy was a 46% free point shooter during the regular season. And so if, okay, let's reduce that for the playoffs because you're up against a really good defense and the stakes are there and teams don't, you know, dog it the way they do in January when they've got nothing to play for. So let's bring that down to 39%, you know, and I'm just throwing something out there. Maybe this is, but this is the game of probabilities we play. Like we know that Danny Green has a history of hitting big shots in big games. We know that he's been on the big stage. So, you know, whatever might impact a, shooter of less experience, uh, who, who's, who hasn't, you know, enjoyed those moments, you know, do those afflict Danny? We would think not. So I, it's just like, I, it, it's to me, it's senseless in trying to predict what a shooter is going to do. Like, I don't think the quality of his shots, I mean, there were a few rushed kind of, he got caught with some flaming bags in that Milwaukee series. But I, I just think that trying to predict, whether Danny Green's going to be closer to the 46% guy he was during the regular season or the, you know, whatever it is in this postseason, you know, certainly in the last series he was, he was abominable. Like, I don't know. Like, there's just no way to predict something like that. I mean, and anybody who says they can predict what Danny Green's going to do is essentially saying, I'm going to walk up to a blackjack table and just tell you, you know, what the dealer's going to draw on the next six hands. Like, I just think these are kind of mysteries of probability that, you know, can be determined by good defenses or bad defenses. But I, I mean, Danny's just not a guy who takes quote bad shots. I mean, I don't like when he's dribbling cause he's just not, but I'm saying in terms of the, the, the three point stuff, I mean, the quality and, and texture and, and sort of variety of shots he takes from beyond the arc are pretty much, those have been the same shots that the guy's been taking for seven or eight or nine years. So I guess moving away from, I've asked you a couple of questions that might be a bit predictive then outside of something that's prediction based. What do you think is the most intriguing aspect of this series? Something that you don't have to walk up to a blackjack dealer and ask, hey, is it going to be good or bad? What's the thing that you know for certain is going to shake out that one team is going to have or one team won't have? You know, it's going to be interesting to see how I think the Raptors distribute their offense. 
you know, uh, there's they're an interesting team, right? Like they have, uh, they they run these, and you saw, and they God, they did some beautiful stuff in latter in the latter stages of the of the Milwaukee series where, um, you had this sort of two sided action, right? Like you would have, um, you know, Kyle and and Pascal running a pick and roll with kind of Kawhi you know, on the, on, on the wing, on, on the opposite side, on, on the, on the off ball side. And, um, you know, you would have, and then you also have, you know, you have Marcus soul working, you know, at the, at the elbow, which I love. I mean, kind of, you know, Memphis was never a great offensive team in, in, in that sort of grit and grind era, but, but boy, you know, Conley and Gasol could do some really beautiful stuff that would opened up even with all the limitations they had on the floor, you know, guys like Tony Allen kind of who didn't need to be guarded. And it was like beautiful to see. And you remember those two in game five, I think it was those, those just those backdoor elements that they ran with Kawhi and, and, and Mark, which were just total reads. And so you have this sort of what I call that kind of the high IQ honors class that they run. And then you, of course, have just kind of Kawhi offense, which might probably be more efficient uh, in, 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 a, in a cruel way. But it's going to be so interesting to see how they try to compromise the Warriors. Like, like I think there are times where things get gummy in the Raptors half court offense, at least in the postseason, And and, you know, you just kind of go to Kawhi for a few possessions. Um, and then it's sort of like, can they get anything out of sort of con- what I call conventional offense? Um, those, 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 those screen and rolls, you know, how do they put, how do they use Pascal? I mean, Pascal is such an interesting player, you know, lethal from the corners. You don't really want him shooting above the break. Um, he can, against the right moment in the defense he can find seams and he's just vicious as a you know sort of dribble driving and and it's he's such a peculiar weapon because he's not i wouldn't say he's not well integrated into the offense because he is and 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 we've seen actions and he's you know he's put in positions to succeed but but you know are there moments where he improvisationally the way he did in the kind of the orlando series um can just be used lethally uh you know and especially if Draymond's attentions elsewhere, I don't know where who Draymond will guard. I imagine, I mean, that's going to be an interesting question is, you know, who is on, you know, in terms of Iguodala and Green, like who takes turns on Kawhi, you know, are there opportunities for Pascal because of that? Um, you know, can you tilt the floor so that Pascal on the weak side corner can just, you know, he can get six shots out of 100 possessions out there and, and hit three of them, which is just great offense. Uh, it, it's just sort of how they distribute their offense is going to be to me so interesting to watch. And we'll know, you know, we'll know in game one what it looks like. Yeah. Well, especially considering nobody had more elbow touches over the past, I think, three years than Marcus Saul when he was with Memphis. And to see if they use him as a conduit for the elbow offense or the five out offense. And then you have Kawhi's compartmentalized type of offense away from Toronto's. Then you have the conventional offense you talked about. If I can get one more question in from you. Yeah. The uh, the city of Toronto, it's been a talking point from Masai Ujiri to just fans as well. Where everybody's very proud to have the NBA Finals there. You've been there for some time now. What's been the most enjoyable aspect of your time in Toronto? You know, it it's such a fantastic city. Like having essentially, I actually, I, I, I think I mentioned this on a, on a podcast. Like I, I joined a gym at the university of Toronto, like the hard house, you know, like I, um, I don't stay downtown. I think where a lot of the sports writers stay, I, I stay up on Bloor, um, just so I can enjoy the neighborhood life. And, you know, I, I'm right there on the one and the two trains and, and it, it, it's just, it, it's kind of this beautiful combination of cosmopolitanism. But like, I mean, what I like about it is I find it very efficient. I mean, it's just like a, it's just, 
when you start kind of living in a city day to day and you start taking the trains and walking the sidewalks and using the running trails and, you know, in the lower Don Valley or, um, you know, just kind of walking the streets, you just, uh, the parks I use, it, you, you, you kind of get a sense for is the city well managed and like, yeah, it's efficient. And to say nothing of like the dining options and just that I think there, it is a fundamentally a neighborhood city. And it's unfortunate. I think so many people kind of get caught in the entertainment district, which is fine. I mean, but, but I think if you really want to kind of see where, you know, where the real magic is, you, you can kind of go out to, you know, I rented a car between, I think six and seven of the Philly series and, you know, spent the evening out in Scarborough and Markham and like, um, just cause I, I, you know, I love the food and, uh, it, it's just, it's such an it's 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 such an interesting and it's it's kind of a cliche to say a mosaic but but it is i think it's north america's most cosmopolitan city and i think that just like like I, you know i just even getting to wander up and down bloor which i just did a million times just because it was like my street it's just like kind of that's where i stayed and that's where my the laundry place i found was and like, and you wander into the BMV books and picked up a paperback for like eight bucks. And, you know, yeah, that's where my coffee joint was. That's where the crappy 7-Eleven is at Spadina. That's the worst 7-Eleven in Toronto. Um, <laughs> it's mine, but it's mine, damn it. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just kind of, I, I just absolutely love the time. And um, it, it's uh, it kind of just still kind of scratching the surface. Like, I, you know there's probably more to explore and you know i didn't do enough of the arts i was wanting to get to the documentary film festival and i in late april and i just didn't the, the dates didn't really work well uh for the series and um yeah so like arts is a place that i'd, I'd want to do next postseason if i'm up there again and you know the way i kind of did food this series but uh it's um it, it's just such a fantastic like, livability is hard in a metropolitan area above 6 million people. Like it just is like, we don't, we aren't very good at it. And somehow Toronto is really good at it. And like, like man, I, like, you know, my last Sunday in town and that was that first really nice day. You know, I took the ferry across in the morning to the islands and then ended up running for five miles, you know, along, along the lake. And that was just really, um, yeah, it's one of my favorite Sunday mornings ever. And like, oh, by the way, and the, and the ferry runs every 15 minutes and you're back. And like I was in my hotel room by noon and at lunch at one, you know, like, so it, it's just, again, it, it's sort of this, it's, it, it's vast, but also just manageable. And, and I just think that's a really, it's a rare quality. A lot of cities don't have. And cause yeah. it's just hard to produce. <laughs> you just, it's hard to have a gazillion people of different origins and, and backgrounds and, and, and industry sort of in a cohabitating a place and making it run efficiently and it's clean and, and, you know, people generally treat each other the right way and, and are polite. And oh, by the way, we have all this food and it's affordable, relatively speaking, I think to a lot of big American metropolises on the coasts. Um, that was the other kind of revelation. And, uh, anyway, it's just been great. Like I just absolutely like my love affair with Toronto, which you know, I've always enjoyed dropping in for three or four nights, but when you sort of kind of set up shop there for an entire postseason, you really just kind of, you dig deeper and it's, um, it's just fantastic. Yeah. Neighborhood city is a, a very apt way to describe it. I like that one a lot. Um, before you go, you're a busy guy. Um, I suggest you tell the people where to find you on Twitter, et cetera. And oh, don't find me on Twitter. 
Don't find me on Twitter. <laughs> don't go. Don't find anybody on Twitter. Get off Twitter. Everybody should get off Twitter. Um, That's so funny because it's a terrible place for off. terrible people. Um, it's uh, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm here and there. You can see me on ESPN.com. Um, I, I think I think the bulk of my my stuff has been published. I've got a few more things in the works uh, coming up. I guess. Um, yeah, something on the Warriors. Uh, I have a, I have some Kawhi stuff coming up. I think in the next few weeks, um, either even during the postseason or, or after it. And um, but yeah, you know, check it out. ESPN.com. I, I actually use I, I should say that I, I do use Twitter to disseminate my work, but that's it. Um, I offer no commentary, and and if I ignore you, I apologize. I don't check my mentions very often, and uh, try to avoid it. Um, but uh, you know, if you have a golden retriever, I will follow you on Instagram. I mean, that that is something I can promise. Um. So, uh, in terms of my social media usage, that's pretty much the, the the crux of it. Good. Well, you guys heard it there first. If you want to go introduce yourself to some of his work, his Twitter's there, but don't expect any uh, back and forth. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a blast. And thank you for that glowing endorsement of Toronto and talking about the team with me. Oh, it's been great. Thanks so much. Yeah. And for the listeners, have a blessed day and goodbye. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted, 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.